Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. Now, normally we try to do a podcast two, three times a week, although you probably would have noticed already that during the coronavirus lockdown, we've only been doing one episode a week. We hope to change that soon. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But the best way to keep up to date with the latest podcast episodes is to subscribe. And while you're there, why not drop us a review? It really does help other people who might enjoy the podcast find us. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. We're recording on a new day. This is going to be the day for the podcast moving forward. We're going to be coming out every Monday, so start your week off in the best possible way. I'm Ben James, and as ever, I am joined by Simon Thomas. How are you doing, Simon? Well, it's sunny outside and I'm inside, so let's hurry up and get it done. My, my thoughts exactly, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> um, we got we got a bit to cover on the podcast today. Um, plenty about TV deals, which seems to have dominated headlines. Um, and we have some actual rugby to discuss. Looking forward to the weekend. Uh, this European match is on. But let's, let's start then with the... Uh, the stuff that aforementioned TV deals. It certainly has dominated headlines and discussion in the last few days, hasn't it? Yeah, it's kept my um, my Twitter feed very full. My inbox has been full with um, varying opinions. I suppose you can only have your own opinion, can't you? I've expressed mine. Um, I just felt that on various grounds, um, the Amazon deal was, was one that couldn't be turned down. I just felt that at a time when rugby, but in particular Welsh rugby, is facing such a a massive financial shortfall because of the coronavirus pandemic, you know, plus £20 million at a time when players and staff are are taking 25% pay cuts. I just think, you know, it would be unacceptable not to go for the highest bidder. It's interesting since um, since we sort of done the original story, there's some figures started to come out. I see that um, one figure was um, estimated as a fifteen million pound one five fifteen million pound deal with Amazon. Um, with Amazon, now obviously the concern was expressed, and you know, people are entitled to their opinion. You know, as the general viewpoint about um, the, the negative aspect of Wales rugby matches going off um, free to air. I made the point initially that um, one of the games, Wales Island, was going to be on Channel 4. And of course, now we know that all of Wales' autumn games are going to be on S4C. So you take all of those things into account, really. And it's difficult to see how any complaints can linger on. Um, Perhaps some people might have a general concern of the principle of paywall TV, but undoubtedly, at this particular time, this particular deal, it was the right thing for the Six Nations Committee and the Welsh Rugby Union as part of that to agree to. Because there's been a sort of couple of debates, hasn't there? There's been a lot of people who are upset with the fact that it's Welsh rugby matches that are going off free to wear, and it, that, that, that should be something that they have the sort of right to watch, you know, as Welsh rugby fans. But then it's which probably is an argument that doesn't really hold too much water. But the the other side of the argument, and another argument that's been made against it, is is the whole sort of you know out of sight, out of mind thing in terms of growing the game. You know, people always point to to cricket back in two thousand and five, the 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 Ashes tour that was on BBC, and how that's fared since that's gone on pay TV, and, and that's probably the more sensible argument and the one that's that, that, that makes a better point isn't it is is, is whether taking too much rugby off free to wear and putting it on pay tv sort of kills the the reach of the sport yeah i mean there's, i said there's two sides to it i mean <clears throat> the entitlement side of it doesn't really wash to me to be honest um because at the end of the day rugby international rugby is entertainment and it's entertainment that costs a lot of money to put on um so 
I, I don't really see that the argument that people should have it without contributing anything towards having it uh, really stacks up. Now, people will point out that they sort of um, did pay the BBC licence fee. Um, and BBC had the rights for Auto International in the past, but clearly each individual person's licence fee, only a very tiny fraction of that goes towards um, it goes towards rugby, goes into the coffers. Um, and of course, there's the other issue now, but you know, increasingly we hear that um, it's very hard for the, the BBC to sort of enforce licence fees. And I think a lot of people are probably not, not paying them anymore, especially a younger generation first watching most of the things on iPlayer. Um, so from that respect, really, you'd have to say that I think rugby as a whole needs to get more people paying to watch it, be that in the ground or on, 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 pay, on pay TV. So that's the entitlement thing of it, aside of it, I don't really sort of buy. Now, the participation side of it, and will it see less and fewer youngsters inspired to take on the game because it has less of a public profile and less visibility? Now, we can discuss that. That's a valid issue. And I suppose what you'd have to say there is that there have been different stories in different sports in terms of what has happened. People point to cricket and participation numbers going down. Is that entirely down to the fact that it's gone off terrestrial television? Or is that, in, in modern day and age, the, the cricket, in terms of the amount of time you spend involved in cricket, does it really tie in with what young people are looking for in sports so much? That's a kind of wider issue. But then you look at football, and that clearly hasn't suffered from going behind a paywall. Money has come into the game. Bigger name star players have come into the game, which in turn has inspired youngsters even more to take up the bay. You know, all the kids walking around with salad shirts or, or college city shirts, they, they don't seem to be negatively impacted by the TV deal. So there's, there's not a hard and fast rule. Um, what I would say is if, if rugby does go increasingly behind the paywall, I think it's very important from a youth participation purpose that any extra money is partially targeted in developing the game and getting more kids involved. And for that, that means more development officers, more hub officers, and in particular, more all-weather surfaces because nothing puts kids off rugby or playing rugby more than having games continually called off. So we probably need a wider look at it and a wider view. But at the end of the day, um, rugby costs money to put on and there are hard decisions to be made on that front. Um, but the other thing, let's be honest, there's been nothing to confirm, no announcement, no confirmation whatsoever that the BBC actually bid for these games, resort autumn games. We don't know if they did. So I, I made this point on Twitter last week and um, you know, I, I got a lot of contrasting views and... and um, uh, some abuse as well as as you inevitably do on that on that platform. Uh, I, the point I made was that okay, you know, more rugby is going off free to air TV. But if you're a young rugby fan, to me, there's never been more access to rugby material online. You know, you, you go on YouTube, you go on social media, you'll find clips, you'll find videos. You know, squidge rugby compilations, everything you can you can find a lot of stuff online and I, I, I don't know how how much free to wear is is the gateway for a lot of young fans I, I, I don't know how much it is you know it's not the golden the silver bullet that people think it is I think you're likely to get into rugby through your parents or through playing it at school and then it's how you sort of supplement that initial interest in the sport and for me 
today is far better through YouTube and, and social media and, and just the access of clips than, you know, maybe it was 20 years ago where you had say, just games on BBC One on a Saturday. Yeah, I've got two kids who are very much part of that generation. And um, they watch, I know, because <laughs> I knew it, and I, um, they watch very little terrestrial television. Um, it tends to be streaming. It tends to be social media clips. It tends to be YouTube. Um, but what I would also say is that my son is not a huge rugby fan, but will watch Wales games. And whenever I'm not working on a Wales game, he'll come with me and watch it in the local rugby club. Um, because it's an occasion, it's an event. Um, probably watches it more there than in the house. So again, I think that that's an important thing, um, as well as uh, focusing on the funding for youth development. I think if, they, if we were to go fully bond the paywall, it would be great if we could see some kind of subsidised uh, deals done for Welsh rugby clubs to encourage people who haven't got free to air television to go and watch the games there, uh, which kind of builds a connection from with all ages for their local rugby club and also see the income coming into that club. And I think this is the kind of wider thinking that we need to have, I, I believe, you know, and realising why we need to bring in the money, but also how can we ameliorate the situation so it doesn't have a neg- negative impact. If you look at cricket in particular, I think they suffered because it virtually went off terrestrial television altogether for a period. Hardly uh, any highlights programmes. They've addressed that now, and I think that's helping in the, uh, with the kind of visibility of cricket. If you look in English Premiership rugby, that's been behind a paywall in terms of live coverage for years. But that hasn't suffered. It hasn't suffered in England in terms of numbers. Numbers have gone up in terms of participation in England. And I think that the, the highlight show, the excellent highlight show, with Flatman and Mark Durden Smith and involved with BBC Channel 4 and Channel 5, that's been important. The same way as match of the day is important. So that's why prior to the SOC thing being announced, it was good to see that Channel 4 were going to be showing highlights of of the Autumn Nations Cup. So it's really about a balance and developing that balance moving forward about how can you bring the money in but also not see the game disappear from the wider profile and the wider perspective of the viewing audience. I suppose another gripe that people have with the Amazon deal is, you know, I mean, it's seven ninety nine a month for Amazon, which isn't a, a, a massive figure. Obviously, you know, that, that sort of depends on the individual, but it's the fact that there's another channel. It's, you know, coming in. So you've already got, if you, if you, if you are a Welsh rugby supporter, you're probably, you might be paying for Premier Sport, which is any, you know, anywhere of 80 to, to 90 pounds a year. You might be paying for BT Sport if you want to watch Champions Cup or Premiership Rugby, which is again, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds uh, a month. If you, if you want to watch the Lions Tour, you've got to have Sky. Again, that's 20 pound on top of a Sky contract. And now, Amazon is it's another thing and it's it's just the amount of channels isn't it with the, the rights are spread fairly thin you know you, you could almost do do with them being pulled yeah i think that's a very valid point it's another one that i think you know when i've seen the, the issues that have been raised that's one of the ones i can say yeah i can see the issue there and i do think that moving forward potentially the um, arrival of cbc the investment company um, in rugby could help on that front because they'd become involved in the Gallagher Premiership, they'd become involved in the Pro 14. The suggestion is they're going to come involved in the Six Nations as well, and they've got commercial involvement in the Champions Cup. So what you would think, realistically, as we move forward, perhaps into the 2022 era, 
that we're going to see a kind of bundling of rights so that they will be doing a deal throughout those, across those tournaments. And you would think that would probably lead to a reduction in the number of overall broadcasters, which would simplify the situation and appease some of those concerns. So I think that, that's that's always the sort of thing is is, is the, these things can be quite burdensome and cumbersome, can't they? You know, you talk, you know, you, even trying to find the prices for Sky Sports yesterday was a logistical nightmare. It took me the best part of an hour and a half just sort of going through all these different packages and deals. And I mean, ultimately, the the the, the silver bullet would almost be like a Netflix, wouldn't it, for rugby rights? I don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it, it depends. Amazon clear. It's interesting. Look, this is a very surreal. This uh, Benjamin, because I'm looking out my window, and then there's an Amazon Prime van just pulled up. So <laughs> I don't know if it's for me. Probably not. Um, um, but the interesting thing is how long term are Amazon in this for? It made absolute sense for them to come in now because they'll be looking at maximizing their sort of their reach and their appeal and their market going up to Christmas and, you know, kind of the, what do they call it, the, the Black Friday sales online or whatever it's called. And also the fact that, you know, if people who do take this deal are going to have it pretty much sort of from November the 12th to December the 12th to cover all the Nations Cups games. And that's a period when people are doing a lot of their shopping for Christmas, getting a lot of parcels in. Who are they going to use? If they've got Amazon Prime, they're going to use Amazon. So, and, you know, it's seven ninety nine for that deal, or just five ninety nine, I think it is for for the for the just TV package. Um, so it's a win win for them. Um, you can see where they're going to do it. Now, will they be looking to stay on a longer board, longer term? That's the bit that's not very clear really at the moment. Cause you've got other players there. You've got BT. You've got Sky. Um, but could Amazon become the Netflix of of sport of rugby? Uh, Interesting as well, I mean, doing a bit of research about how much it's going to cost pubs to show um, the, the Amazon games, because that's obviously an area where a lot of people watch them. Um, for the last deal that Amazon did, which included a number of Premier League matches, football on, over Boxing Day, it was, it was around £250, that package. Now, I think in normal times, a lot of pubs would take that, because obviously there's a lot of interest, a lot of people want to watch Wales games in the pub and have a couple of beers. Um, but clearly this is going to be in November time when we don't know what the progress of the pandemic exactly is going to be and how many people are going to be allowed in pubs. You've got this whole issue of the cheering in pubs and the transmission of the virus that way. So that's going to, pubs, pubs are going to think, is it worth it with the, number, with the restricted number of people? Maybe same thing for rugby clubs as well. So there's all these factors to take into consideration. But as we've said all along, we've done these podcasts and our chats, Ben, these are pretty much unprecedented times and we're all kind of finding out the ways as we go along. Indeed, and I, you know, talking there about whether Amazon do sort of go back into the market for more rights. I mean, if you look at sort of all of the contracts in in rugby at the minute, the the one that sort of isn't is going to be next available is the Six Nations, which I mean, BBC and ITV are going to face a struggle to probably keep that on free to air as it is, aren't they? And now you've got Amazon. As yeah, potential. I mean, I think in the, as I said earlier, I mean, the, the whisper I heard is not confirmed yet, but I, I don't think BBC did um, bid for, for, for this Nations Cup. So you could understand, perhaps, given all the sort of financial issues they're facing, the cuts that are coming in, um, and the issues over the licence fee, perhaps they are putting all of their rugby eggs into that Six Nations basket to try and retain that. They obviously, uh, currently, they share the rights with ITV. Um, but clearly when that those rights next come up there are going to be a lot of people interested in them and as I say CBC will play a crucial role because you know, we still understand that deal is going to go through where they'll be sort of you know, very much driving the commercial deals 
Uh, yeah, so that is going to be the big one. And it's also going to be the big one in terms of public reaction. I think people understood, the majority of people understood why the deal was done for this autumn, given the sort of the financial problems the game is facing and the need to stay afloat. In normal times, how would they react to the Six Nations going all pay TV? I don't know. But of course, obviously, what we've seen with the SOC deal is that there is... Uh, there is increasingly a recognition of the importance of, of the Welsh language coverage. I think more and more now we are seeing that when deals are done, SOC are getting secondary rights. They've secured those secondary rights to Amazon now, having done the deal with Six Nations Rugby. Six Nations Rugby are obviously the key men for the championship deal as well. So maybe um, S4C retaining rights could be a big way moving forward and people understanding then that the whole deal makes sense. But I guess that really much famous depends on the attitude of the primary rights holders, whoever they may be. Indeed. Um, I think that's probably as much as we can talk about when it comes to uh, TV rights. Um, I, I, just, I, I would add one thing, Ben. When I, I spoke to someone high up in the, the worship union or something, and there was this stuff there in terms of what's going on, and I'm just checking about the Amazon deal, and they said, bottom line is it's timely. Welsh Union is facing this big financial black hole and what you've got is a big, prosperous company. A company that's probably done as well as anybody over lockdown because the amount of online shopping people have done. You've got a major, giant retail company there who are coming into the market and it's a positive because not only are they putting in money now, but it increases the market value of TV rights generally to see you know, a big company coming like that in with a deal. So I think we should just be, be relieved and happy that a deal has been done and also that the games are all now going to be available on free to air. So in the short term, it, it is pretty much a win-win, I think. Okay, let's um, move on to some rugby sort of nearer in the future. This weekend, uh, European rugby is back on the agenda quarterfinals and we've got two Welsh regions involved. Uh, the Dragons travel to Bristol on Friday night and then the following night, the Scarlets are in France to take on Toulon. I mean, that's... Two very daunting quarterfinals, isn't it, for the Welsh regions? Yeah, it's a fascinating weekend. I mean, you look at that, and then you also look at Leinster against Saracens, which is obviously going to have all the kind of the focus on it from the national newspaper, national press, and TV, and there's lots, there's huge anticipation surrounding that. Can Saracens possibly end, you know, the perfect season that Leinster are so far enjoying? Um, could be a lot of edge on that one, I would have thought. And then you've got the two Welsh games, uh, Friday night. Dragons off to Ashton Gate. Because, as you said, all along, it's a shame that there's no crowds allowed. I mean, I think they've been looking at probably a 20,000 crowd for that game. I mean, chatting to the Dragons, but the interest in it and interest in Bristol side as well. Um, but it's behind closed doors, which I guess, maybe, for them and for the Scarlets, who will also be behind closed doors in Toulon. Maybe the, the away uh, disadvantage which we thought would be a key factor when we first saw those quarterfinal draws way back kind of January, February time. Thought that was going to be a big challenge for them going away from home. Well, going away from home ain't quite the same now, is it? Because you haven't got these sort of uh, the crowds, especially out in Toulon, where we all know how fanatical their support is. So that does make it more of a level playing field. So I think you can then generally just look upon the, the two teams and who's got the strongest side. Dragons first, I think when they put their strongest team out now, uh, you know, with the like of likes of Tompkins, uh, the, the likes of Jonah Holmes perhaps coming into the, the frame, choice, big choice. Leon Brown is in top form. They've just signed Greg Bateman. 
Um, they've got back rows. And where do you start on their back row? You know, in terms of who's going to miss out there, they've got real strength in that back row. Obviously, Sam Davis is the, and Rodney Williams key at halfback. So their first team is a strong team. Um, and Bristol's team, again, I think is a similar situation when they put their strongest side out. They are quite a force. We've seen just recently in the congesting, hectic premiership programme that when they delve deeper into their squad, um, as was the case this weekend just gone, um, I think it's Wasps, um, they they do you find it a bit tougher. Now, the other issue is, Ben, given the congested nature in the Premiership and the fact that they're going for the playoffs, how do they approach this European game this weekend? Do Bristol go full guns with that? Oh, do they really rest some of their key players, given that they're right on the edge of the playoffs and probably need a couple of wins in their remaining games to get into the top four? So that'll be fascinating teams team selection. And there's a similar issue with too long because I see they've got a few injury issues, halfback in particular. Um, obviously still a mighty side, but perhaps not as mighty as they once were. And the Scarlet's given a good run for money in the, in the group game out in France. Um, I was going to say last season. It's still the same season, isn't it? Um, back in the autumn. Um, and I think the Scarlet's, if you look at where they are now with players coming back, and the people players have come in, they've got a real strength and depth to that squad. And in Europe, we all know it's so important what you can bring off the bench. So I think I'm fascinated. I think probably the other two, the Scarlet's got the slightly better chance. But uh, wouldn't it be great to see both of them go through to the semis? Absolutely, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, go, go into that, that Bristol game, uh, the Dragons. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, Bristol have had... Is it four four games in two weeks, and they've had to sort of manage their squad a lot. Uh, as you mentioned yesterday, you know they went down. Was it fifty nine thirty five to Wasps? Um, although they still still did a lot right in that match, despite conceding fifty nine points. I think there was a lot of impressive performances. Um, Dan Thomas, uh, the Welsh flanker, he looks a really good player. Uh, Stuart Barnes compared him to Justin Tipperick earlier in the week, and um, he showed up well. Um, and it, it, even you know you look at the sort of back row riches they've got you know um, Stephen Luatua, uh Ben Earl Nathan Hughes Dan Thomas is probably still going to be very important in the the coming weeks um, yeah you talk talk about how they're going to approach this match I think they're going to go all guns blazing I know they are they're fifth aren't they and they're, they're level on points with fourth place very in the tight. Premiership yeah, it's very, very tight. tight two matches left but I think they they're going to put everything on this this quarter final. It's a European quarter final. It's the Challenge Cup, and and for them it's it's going to be important. So I think they'll go all guns blazing. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the Dragons live with them. I mean, there's a lot of familiar faces there, aren't you? Know that they know Rodri Williams well from his time there. Uh, they know Dean Ryan very well, and there's nothing Dean Ryan would love more than going to Ashton Gate and and getting one over on them. I think um, Dean Ryan will have been marshalling his thoughts about this game in a way that Bristol haven't been able to do. Bristol's existence has been game to game to game to game, hasn't it? You know, the Dragons really had effectively two on-calling trial matches, but they had they had the element of the pre-season or the element of the build-up to the big one. And if you can see that, I mean, he, re- he utilised a lot of players in those two games um, against the Ospreys and the Scarlets. And um, some good things as well, in particular the, the impact that Tompkins made. Um, 
for Dion Brown again coming through. Uh, and he's been able to look at his squad and he'll be able to go in completely fresh with a sole focus on this game. Almost a, almost a little bit of a shot to nothing because Bristol will still be favourites, won't they? Uh, but I think this is a real opportunity for him to test just where his new dragons are. Um, interesting to see if Greg Bateman goes straight and I presume he's eligible for this game he was certainly when I looked at the uh, European squads the other day he was in the Dragons list um, you know you start to go to a front row of Bateman Elliot T and Leon Brown you know and you could screech Mr. Reliable in the second row and back row is interesting as I say what do they do do you reckon Basham Moriarty and Wainwright do you think that's what we'll see uh, I think so yeah Moriarty's looked good in the two games uh, I saw um, obviously Wainwright um, has, has really been to the fore recently when he's played because he had, a, he had a sort of you know a, a sort of natural sort of come down after the World Cup which I mean he's had such a sort of massive rise and such a rapid sort of ascension to the, the, the test game that it was only natural that there was a bit of a plateau but he's he's really come to the fore again and, and, and Tane Basham's just someone I really like um against the Scarlets and, and, and against the Ospreys as well just he's just so physical and he, he just packs so much power into 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 his frame and yeah it's um it's going to be interesting and I, we'll, we'll probably get onto the cliche with the Scarlets that, that you know they always they always get themselves up for European matches but it's worth remembering sort of the, the Dragons record when it comes to knockout matches in the Challenge Cup in recent years they've, they've had a couple of tough games that they that they've managed to come through and probably against the odds so they've got no reason to fear going to Ashton Gate on Friday night No I think they'll enjoy the experience as well um, massive part of it will be this control that Sam Davis brings you know he's obviously been in the news again this week uh, very honest in some of the things he's admitted about um, the Wales Tour a few years ago uh, it's good to see that he's now uh, confirmed as staying with the Dragons all that's been resolved and he's just a key key man for them in the way they play the game Um and I think as well, a big factor will be what what will interesting to see what they do in the back three, because Jonah Holmes obviously hasn't played for them yet. Um, now, do they maybe play him at full back with Rossa and Ashton Hewitt on the wing? That would give some real attacking firepower. And then, uh, yeah, it's good. It's just really good to be talking to the Dragons and them having a few selection headaches because you know over the years they have obviously struggled in terms of their squad depth. And, they're not where they want to be probably there's still work to be done but they're certainly in a much stronger place than they were a couple of years ago in terms of that uh, in terms of that quality throughout the squad that's starting to build up there Talk, talking about squad depth you know you, you mentioned it in the podcast earlier the, the Scarlets they, they, they really do have some squad down at Parker Scarlets um, you know some of the positions in the team you, you just wonder who they pick and, and it's, it's an endless headache and you know places like second row and the back row um, they just got some fantastic performance people like Will Rawlins who are massively sort of unheralded but he's probably the unsung hero of that team isn't he he is well over the two derbies and, and, and probably for the for the for a large part of last season just 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 a vital cog in, in that uh, Scarlet's pack um, the one that um, I look at it now I, you could almost put two Scarlet's teams out we're talking Leinster-like scenario there, aren't we? You know, I mean, and let's be fair, in terms of playing budgets, you know, the, the Scarlets will be one of the ones pushing to be the next in line in the, the Pro 14 after the Leinster. I mean, their budget at the moment is, is, is probably north of eight, 8 million, around about the 8 million mark anyway. 
um, and, and you do tend to get what you pay for and it does also help when you, as with Leinster, when you have a really good production line youngsters coming through as the Scarlets do. So they're in a really healthy position. Hats off to their board for everything they've done there and for the work that's been done on the development pathway. John Daniels' work, you know, Brad Moore before now and the coaching and now Glenn Delaney they, they, and obviously Pivak's era and Stephen Jones before that. They're, in a, they're a team in a good place, healthy. Um, their team selection, well, heaven only knows because part of it is going to hinge quite heavily on the big, big names who've been sidelined for a little while. We're talking Reese Patchell, we're talking Jonathan Davis, and we're talking Liam Williams. Now, our colleague Mark Orders has sort of been keeping a close tabs on exactly where those guys are at. Um, I think Jonathan Davis um, is looking like he may well be involved. Not so sure about Liam Williams. Um, we have to wait and see on Reese Patchell as well. But although... Well, they've got strength in the key places. If those, if two or three, ideally, even at least a couple of those came through, it does really make a big difference. Um, but they've recruited well and they've got people coming back well. Johnny Williams has come in and, and fitted in very nicely in the centre. He looks, you know, it's a very solid, very tidy player. Steph Evans is right back at the top of his game. You've always got it when you've got a, a guy, as Glenn he said the other day, when you've got a guy like that in the side, you always got a chance because he will just create a score out of nothing and they, they'll be wanting to get the ball in his hands as often as possible. Uh, Gareth Davis, you know, real top-class international at nine now. So there's strength there. And then up front, you know, you, you've got a front row, which is probably going to be Wynn Jones, um, so Ken Owens, and I'm guessing Samson Lee, who's come, you know, I think back into some decent form there. Rawlins has been excellent in the second row, as you said. And then the back row, I mean... I do think a key area of this game is going to be over the ball. We've seen more and more um, since rugby's resumption with the new interpretation of the breakdown, how vital it is to have a, a really quality jackal over the ball. And the Scarlet's got the, one of the best in Europe. They've got the best in the Pro 14, one of the best in Europe, Josh McLeod. And they've got a guy probably going to be on the bench, not too bad either, in, in Cubby Boy, in, in James Davis. So I think that could be an area they're really good going to target. I mean, McLeod's been extraordinary over the ball and now he's even more effective than ever over there because the Jackal suddenly has a lot more rights. Get the hands on the ball, lift that ball, you're going to get the ball or you're going to get a penalty and he's going to be absolutely crucial. Interesting to see what they do alongside him in the back row. Callum Afoni, yeah, Cassian, Blade Thompson. What do you think they'll go for in the black row? Um... It's, 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 I think they'll go fairly big just because obviously you know away in France the power game I thought Calamaphone was really good against the Dragons he, he gave glimpses of just what he's going to bring you know which is is just line busting carries and, and just pure physicality which maybe the Scarlets haven't had at number 8 for, for some time you know you, you... So does Casilla miss out then? It's tough because I think <laughs> he, he, Casilla is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a just a massively vital sort of um Part part of their game. I mean, I don't know. I don't could know quite where Blake Thompson is at. Obviously, Blake Thompson was could, meant to play. Could you play either Cassian or Calamathoni at six? There's no reason why not. Um, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Ed Kennedy, and he was, you know, he was yeah, like, Kennedy. Like, I mean, I've lost that. Shingler as well. I mean, Shingler would probably be the first choice six as well. Exactly. You know? yeah. I mean, Blake Thompson is a quality, quality rugby player, then, but there is just this issue that he has missed a lot of rugby, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he looked like he was going to be starting this new season, come back, and then he picks up an injury just in the warm up, and Kennedy comes in. Um, I think Carlos Carlos will start. Carlos uh, 
Oh, goodness me. I'd be tempted to go Kasim, Kalimafoni, yeah, and McLeod. Yeah, I think so. There we go. I must get the pronunciation of his name better. <laughs> Who, McLeod, or? Um, <laughs> I struggle with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the final part of the podcast, and it's always the the the, the part that nobody likes, is the, is the predictions. How, how do we think these two games are going to go? I think Bristol will probably win if they go full guns. Just because they, you know, over the course of the, of, the, of, the, of the year, they've been one of the best teams in Europe in their week in, week out league performances, right up there in the top two or three. Um, I think the Scars will win. Let's go for it. I think the Scars will win. And I, I, just, I just feel that they have now the ability to do what the likes of Toulouse, Saracens, Leinster, all these sides have done over the years, which is bring absolute quality off the bench. But as I say, it, part of it does, I guess, hinge on which of those big gun backs, John Fox, Patchell and Liam Williams, be available. I think that will be, if they can get a couple of those in the 23, I'll go for them to win. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with everything there. I think just Bristol have been sort of tearing defences apart at will at times, um, which I think the Dragons probably just struggle with. Um but I think they'll go there and they'll have a real good fight. They've probably been forcing things in attack too much. When I saw them, when I saw them against the Scarlet at Ronnie Parade, they just force things too much in attack. If they can be a bit more patient at times and, and, and just let the hands and the ball do the work, they can really cause Bristol some problems. Um, and, and hopefully they will. Um, and yeah, the Scarlets, last two times they've been too long, I think they've lost by a score on both occasions, but they've really, really been at it. And I think, yeah, this weekend... Um, I think they'll just get over the line, especially if someone like Jonathan Davis is back. Yeah, I think what I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see Wainwright packing down at eight, put quite a bit of the game, maybe with Moriarty being in the big physicality at six, because I do think that Wainwright's dynamism and speed off the base of the scrum can be absolutely crucial, especially if they're going to be under any kind of pressure in that area. As Bristol have obviously got Sinclair's come in, and they've got some strong props there. Um, I think Wainwright, you know, I like to see him move into a number eight role. I think he's got something like the old TSB athleticism about him. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see that happening a little bit in this game because he's a player with a huge future. Yeah, I, th- I think they'll definitely do that. Because if you think against the Scarlets, obviously Harrison Keddie packed down at six, who is a out and out number eight, isn't he? Just so Wainwright could play eight. So I think, I think moving forward, that'll be something they'll look at. And um, yeah, this could certainly be the weekend to do it again. But there we go then. Um, a nice bit of positivity to end on. One, one win predicted and probably one close defeat as well. But uh, hopefully we'll get 50% on those predictions and uh, we'll be celebrating two Welsh wins next week. But until then, you can catch all the latest news on Wales Online. 